Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hey parents, Jack and Claire's Children's Boutique in Oxford features the latest brands of baby and children's clothing, shoes, toys, and accessories. Check out Jack and Claire's Facebook page too. Jack and Claire's Children's Boutique, West Jackson Avenue next to Belk. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday, y'all. The last one of 2023. Man, oh man, as they say, where did the time go? Time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) And, uh, boy, are we going to be having some fun starting next week. That's one way to put it. <laughs> it's going to be fun. There's a bunch of stuff that we're going to be tracking and talking about. I'm telling you. Somebody could have some fun if they win the lottery. That's on up there, isn't it? Yeah, it's not quite as high as some of the records have spoiled us with recently, but uh, it is still a pretty chunk, a pretty significant chunk of change. Well, let's see. What do we got uh, tomorrow? The next drawing in the Powerball, seven hundred and sixty million dollars, with a cash value of three eighty-two. That's where we are. So, you know, at the Mississippi Lottery Corp, our president Jeff Hewitt is always diligent about sending board members a report every Sunday morning. Uh, we can faithfully rely on that. And it's just a report that gives a a bit of an analysis of the uh, prior week sales, uh, broken down by by game category, and then uh, there's a a cumulative chart as well where we can go back and look at prior weeks, year-to-date, etc. And, you know, you can always know when I see these, these jackpots way up there, I know before I open the email, uh, after church in there about the time it comes out, yeah, we're going to see some big sales figures. Because that's what happens. Folks go out hoping to cash in on the big jackpots. And uh, this is certainly a big one. Now, did I just see that the party who won, what was it, $1.6 billion or something, some insane amount in August just finally, I guess, got their ducks in a row with their lawyers and so forth and have, uh, I guess, claimed it? Did I, did I read that correctly? I don't know. It seems like I saw something cross the the uh, the news while browsing perhaps my email, something like that, some third party. It, it looked like that the claimant is uh, like an entity. 
rather than an individual. And I'm thinking maybe they created that for that purpose. In some states, you do not have to reveal right. your identity, and some you do. In the state of Mississippi, you are not compelled to do so as a prize winner. It's optional. So anytime you see the lottery uh, post promotions of winners that have redeemed their prizes with the identity of the winner included in those announcements, know that that winner has given permission to do so. That is not done by the lottery without authorization from the winner. So that's the way we do that. Uh, we got a lot of stuff going on, I guess. This whole situation with Donald Trump on the ballot, off the ballot, it's uh, it's kind of a Linda Blair thing. <laughs> Your head's spinning it's around. It's starting to stink of desperation. I agree. Well, I mean, what what are they afraid of? The very democracy they claim that should he be elected would, would be at risk? What are they afraid of? Are they afraid of democracy? Which simply means that people govern themselves. Well, they're afraid because the guy in the batter's box is half asleep and the lady on the on-deck circle (laughs) doesn't know where she is. (laughs) Batter's box, I love it. I mean, this really just does reek of desperation, and it certainly indicates that they fear that he's got a dang good shot at unseating the current president should he be the Democrat nominee. Yeah, I think that's pretty clear, certainly from the polls. And I know a lot of folks say you can't put any stake in the polls, but they're not that wrong. I mean, it's it's a significant gap, uh, certainly from a favorability perspective. Now, when you look at national head-to-head polls, the president is trailing the former president. It's single digits, but the key measurement, the key data is – how they fare in a head-to-head match in those five or six swing states, which is where the election for president is won or lost. That's where it's determined. And in six of the seven, former President Trump leads Joe Biden. That ain't good. They know it. Even former White House communication director to President Barack Obama that would be uh, one Jennifer Palmieri. She admitted yesterday, this was on, I think, CNN, that 2024 looks super scary. <laughs> That's the way she described it for President Biden as Donald Trump leads, as we just shared, the president in several general election matchups. There you go. It was on MSNBC. I thought it was CNN. Morning Joe, of course, is where Ms. Palmieri appeared, and she was uh, sharing this rather dire prediction for them, mind you. She said she would, quote, feel good about the economic argument. Huh? She previously argued interest rates were at the center of the economic negativity and that the Fed was going to bring down rates. I do think that is the case. Uh, As far as the Fed bringing down rates in 2024 leading up to the election, the extent to which that will influence voters 
that's just hard to measure. I don't know. Housing starts were down. Folks in the real estate industry have indicated a slowdown uh, in in uh, new mortgage originations because the rates are higher. And the other big thing, as you know, is that we're not seeing the price of houses uh, retreat because of the lack of inventory. That folks that went out and got mortgages during the ultra-low time period, uh, 2% mortgages and the like, they're not moving. They may have some interest in, say, moving up, upgrading. But when they look at the 6% mortgage rates and and uh, see what that looks like from a monthly expenditure perspective, they say, I think I'll just stay where I am. And so you're not seeing a lot of turn in the real estate industry, the residential real estate industry. So a mammoth uh, university poll released earlier this month said that just 34% of Americans approve of the president's performance Monmouth, of course, located in the Garden State of New Jersey. Interesting. So, uh, you know, of course, the Joe Biden says the, the media is just not reporting the economic his economic accomplishments accurately. He kind of admonished some of the media. You guys need to go report it right. Well, there are people who have however, are saying prices are too high. People all over the world are just sort of unhappy with what they have. This is what MSNBC host Jonathan Lemire said. Even though the metrics are good, they should get better. People say they like things about it, but there's a sense, talking about Biden's economic policies, but there's a sense that they've written off the Biden economy and they won't give him credit for it. Man, this whole nonsense about you have to believe, as I tell you to believe, don't believe your own eyes. <laughs> your well, own. that's the mantra of the left. <laughs> just just uh, dis, uh, disregard your lived experience, as they tell us. You don't know what you're talking about. You're really better off. You're enjoying this. It to- totally is insane. But that's what they're telling us. There's uh, no doubt about it. Now, did I see that there's some sort of deep space airplane that was just launched yesterday by NASA? I thought that was kind of done with a whole lot of fanfare. I think that's what it's called, deep space plane, something to that effect. Interesting. We got Kelly Bennett on the program at 1120. Of course, Kelly is a multimedia journalist with Super Talk Mississippi News. We'll get a roundup of the news from across the state and get her thoughts on uh, what headlines the news department at Super Talk here is going to be looking into for next week. And then it's Michael Borky at 1205. He, of course, the producer of Sports Talk Mississippi. He'll share his thoughts on the Peach Bowl. That's where I'm headed. By the way, after the program today, traveling over to Atlanta. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well studio coming right back. Check it out. Let's do this. 
talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We're in the Element Wealth Studio. The C Spire text line 601-879-4395. Are you thinking about or planning for a retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The Dow on the final trading day of the year is down a little bit, down 86 points uh, this morning. I think uh, maybe a little profit-taking going on there. It's been a pretty good run the last few weeks. Still a lot of money on the sidelines. The NASDAQ not faring as well, down 118 that's 0.78%. Crude oil up a bit to $72.16. So, yeah, this deep splay, uh, space plane was launched yesterday. And this uh, followed several weeks, a couple weeks at least, of some false starts, delays, had some technical issues, bad weather. Uh, and they... Put that spacecraft back in its hangar, but they got it out last night and launched it. The Falcon Heavy. Falcon Heavy is the SpaceX. That's the SpaceX rocket. Yeah, yeah, that's the SpaceX rocket that is carrying the space plane. That's the, uh, an asset of the U.S. military, the X-37B robot space plane. Blasted off from Florida, of course, at NASA's Kennedy Space Center at Cape Canaveral. Wow, this is pretty cool. Now, they're not disclosing how high it's going to go, but they described it as kind of a, a, a bus-looking vehicle, if you will. It's like a small one. It looks kind of like a space shuttle to me. Yeah, exactly. So, Which, I mean... That's, a space plane is the umbrella term. That's space right. shuttle is specific mission. It's a it's described as it like a miniature space shuttle. Yeah, because it's robotic, isn't it? Yes, it's unmanned. A, that's right. It's robotic, and so you wonder what do they intend to do with this thing? Um, I, I had no idea that it's flown. Fight the aliens, right? That, exactly. Six missions. I didn't know that since 2010. Well, it's all secretive. I guess so. This is pretty cool, though. I, I really do think it is. Again, the Pentagon is not indicating how high this space plane will fly this time out. Uh, they said it would involve tests of new orbital regimes, experimenting with future space domain awareness technologies. I guess that means you can put people in it and they can fly off into space. And dock somewhere, de-plane, de-shuttle. Maybe they're thinking about using this thing to carry payload up to the moon. I think it's cool. Really do. 
So, all right, back to the situation with the former president. We learned just right after we got off the air, right, yesterday, I believe, that he's back on the ballot in Colorado after the Supreme Court of the state of Colorado decided to really just unilaterally remove him on a 4-3 vote. That's, by the way, been challenged by the GOP of Colorado as well as the former president. But the main case going to the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, has been filed uh, where the plaintiff is the Colorado GOP. All right, so after the show, what happens? The Secretary of State of Colorado comes back and announces, hey, we got him back on there. He's going to appear. Is that right? I mean, yeah, that's what it's on. It, he is back on the ballot pending the Supreme Court taking it up or a ruling being handed down. Okay. So, so sort if, of, if the Supreme Court doesn't take it up, then he's likely off the ballot okay. because of the lower court's decision. Yep. Or if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the lower court's decision, he would be off the ballot. Okay, gotcha. So those two scenarios uh, would essentially result in being removed. But then the Secretary of State of the great state of Maine won I don't know if it's Sheena or Shenna. I never saw her first name announced in all the various reports and even videos I saw. Bellows, the last name. She says to Colorado, hold my beer. (laughs) She disqualified former President Trump from the state of Maine's 2024 ballot, once again pointing to the 14th Amendment's insurrection clause, which I think is a complete judicial uh, overreach. In this case, not judicial. It's just an elected official. That ain't the way it's supposed to work in this country, where one individual in a state can just decree, order, you're off the ballot. Well, I mean, if you want to put on the tinfoil hat, the timing is a little suspect. Why is that? I know, but tell the folks. Because Colorado puts him back on the ballot, so if there's a coordinated effort to keep him off the ballot, then it would seem... Pretty cool. The coincidence is strong here with this one. If, oh, he's back on the ballot in Colorado, pull the next lever. So is it whack-a-mole deal? Is that what we got going on here? Well, here's another state, another state. This is insane. The problem with that is, taking the tinfoil hat off and getting back to reality, the Democrats aren't that smart. <laughs> they may be well organized, but they're not that intelligent. you got to love what? Secret- if they were, they wouldn't believe what they believe. <laughs> That's true. you got to love what Secretary Bellow said. <laughs> I do not reach this conclusion lightly. That's horse hockey. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, at the very bottom of her statement, it also is going to rely on the U.S. Supreme Court. It does say that. Uh, a 34-page decision. 34 pages. That was what she penned. She authored that, did the Secretary of State. That's 33 pages of look at me, look at me, look at me, and CYA. That's exactly right. Uh, She says, democracy is sacred. Right. And you're interfering with it. You're obstructing it. Unbelievable. I am mindful that no Secretary of State has ever deprived a presidential candidate of ballot access based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment 
I am also mindful, however, that no presidential candidate has ever before engaged in insurrection. It's like they've used that word so much to describe January 6th that they've started to believe it. There's no doubt about it. And then there's more evidence coming out that looks like that there was some plants, at least, from the FBI that, right, that seemed to be complicit in all this, and that's that's a little problem as well. So there's a whole lot I think we don't know. The Republican primary in Maine takes place on March the 5th, so not Super too, Tuesday. Yeah, that's right. It's a big one. Which is the same day that Colorado does. That's right. So now, in Michigan, the Supreme Court decided not to remove the former president from the ballot. So, in California as well. I actually think California handled it right, to some extent. I mean, they came out and said, look, we looked at every possible avenue to keep this guy off the ballot. We just don't see it. We don't see a, a legal means to do so. That's cool. I mean, you're telling us you're just a political hack <laughs> rather than a principled public servant. You don't want this guy on the ballot. Honestly, Rhino, not that it would matter in California because Donald Trump nor any other Republican has a snowball's chance, as they say, I believe, of winning that state. Remember. Well, it's likely not to matter in Colorado or Maine either. I totally agree. He did get one, by the way. Remember, Maine does not assign all their EVs, right. electoral votes, uh, to the winning. They do it by a congressional district. He did get one of the four, I think, right. in the state. Um, so, yeah, you're right. This is You're so right. It's look at me crap. That's all this is. All this stuff is. Look at me. I'm going after the demon Donald Trump. Like, it's in the same vein as the New York district attorney. Totally. So, Let's be honest. Give me attention. Get my name recognition out there so I can further my own personal political career. Did anybody have a clue in the country outside of the state of Maine? And even that is specious as to whether or not they knew who this lady is. Now, she's on the front page of all the newspapers in the country. That's what it's all about. Because all you got to do is something stupid. And voila, your headlines. (laughs) Incredible. Oh, my gosh. Somebody did uh, send a text earlier that uh, was before we came on the show. I'm looking for, yeah, Chris from Oxford. Uh, whether or not the folks that in Maine and Colorado, Wisconsin, that are trying to get Trump off the ballot, could they be brought up on charges? Man, that's honestly, Chris, is above my pay grade. I saw the, the, uh, the law you cited. It kind of doesn't look like it. I don't know if there's any sort of charges that would could be filed that have any merit. It's a good question, though. I just don't know. Maybe we'll see if we can get somebody with some more legal intelligence to help us with that. Coming right back in the Element Well Studio. With Gerard Gibbons. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one.
Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. We are live in the Element Well studio. Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News, will join us at 11.20. And then Michael Borky, the producer of Sports Talk Mississippi, at 12.05 to talk about the Peach Bowl. That is tomorrow. The Gallo Show is going to be remote next Thursday at the Mississippi Economic Council's Capital Day. That's going to be at the Mississippi Trademark in downtown Jackson. You don't want to miss the opportunity to visit with state leaders and legislators as the new legislative session begins. To become a sponsor or register, go to msmec.com. Don't forget, as we've uh, mentioned before, to sign up for the Super Talk Mississippi News this week in Mississippi Newsletter, especially with the brand-new legislative session getting underway next week. The News Department does a great job of tracking all the issues, the measures being considered and deliberated. And, of course, here on Super Talk, uh, of course, on Middays and the Gallo Show, we have the privilege of interviewing many of our state lawmakers and statewide elected officials, and that always makes news. And the news department does a good job of going back, listening to those interviews and writing up good articles. And, of course, you hear some of the excerpts, the audio clips from those interviews on our news here uh, during the breaks of the program. So we're going to have a lot to do when it comes to next week. Rhino, you know, every day you and I, we're looking through those various legislative news sites or just sites that track all the various measures. We get some of that information deposited in our email on the measures we have or the the categories often of issues that we have selected to track. We'll get those every day, folks, in an email. I can't remember the name of the service, but it is a service that we subscribe to here at uh, at Super Talk, and that uh, keeps us up to date on the activities on those measures or those topics so that we can pass that on to you. That's what uh, we will do again coming up this year. Speaking of coming up this year, I just realized uh, a couple of days ago that end of January will mark three full years of hosting the show. You remember I I started doing so full-time. Part-time in 2020, when uh, the great J.T. Williamson was no longer able to fulfill that duty as the host. And we traded around, filling in for him best we could. And then in uh, January 2021, I went full-time in the chair, as J.T. used to like to say. And then, uh, unfortunately, J.T. passed away July of 21. Then the show uh, transition day after Labor Day, 2021. But at the end of January, we'll mark three years of full time in the chair here. Man, where did the time go? Wow, it's incredible. Grateful for the opportunity. Enjoy coming in here every day and traveling around the state as well and talking to the good folks in the state of Mississippi. And I, I appreciate you listening and tuning in, watching. However you catch the show, really do appreciate that. And uh, we'll keep on going. 
So as far as Chris from Oxford saying, what stops all this nonsense? Man, I don't know. I I tell you what stops it, honestly. And this is what we said on the program uh, right after this Colorado thing hit the news was the Supreme Court, Chris, honestly. We need the Supreme Court to act on this swiftly. I'm hoping for a 9-0 decision. I don't know that if that's would nip it in the bud, yes. Big time. I mean, a decision period that reverses Colorado Supreme Court's action, that's it. I'd say that's it's done at that point in my A view. 6-3 or a 5-4 would likely fan the flames though. I would agree. And but because you they know, would see, oh, well I've just got to tweak this. We can keep going. You know what's going to be interesting? If there are dissenters you would have to expect that that would be the more liberal wing of the court. What the hell are they going to base that on is what I want to know. I mean... The same nothing they based Roe on. I guess so. The well, fact that they believe they are put there to make law instead of interpret law. I think that's it right there. And that, is that not what the Supreme Court of Colorado essentially did? I think you could argue it is. Now... What is interesting is that the process for ballot eligibility is different based on the state. So, whereas in Colorado and Michigan, it's up to the court, the highest court in the state, that being the Supreme Court, Maine, it's deliberated by the Secretary of State, and I think that's the way it works in California as well. So, that is consistent with the Tenth Amendment, uh, and and I certainly respect that. But the, the, but the fact that one person or four people, as was the case in Colorado on the Supreme Court, can just kick somebody off the ballot, at a minimum, it raises the question of due process, which is a hallmark of our system of government, of our legal system. Here, here's a person that wants to run for president, said you can't in this state. Based on what? Based on you, your opinion that I violated some section which really isn't was never designed to preclude someone like uh, Mr. Trump from running for president? That's not what it was for. It's totally crazy. Let's see what else we got um, on the ceasefire text line. Ricky in Aberdeen says, Happy New Year to both of you. We appreciate that, Ricky, and Happy New Year to you, sir, and all the other folks out there in the Super Talk audience world. Again, we so much appreciate your tuning in to the program and supporting us, and we wish you the very happiest, healthiest, prosperous New Year possible. No doubt. Got to be optimistic. The person that won that prize established an LLC, I think, in Delaware, where LLCs are not required to publicly identify the LLC members. That's on the ceasefire text line. That is uh, in reference to the winner of this uh, gigantic, what is, I think it was $1.6 billion is the number that comes to mind. Was that back in August, I think, when the uh, Multistate Lottery Association which operates the Powerball and the Mega Million said, "Yep, we got a winner." And you, I don't remember what the time frame is. You got so many days to come forward, claim the prize, and so 
appreciate that. It makes sense. Agree. That's why so many corporations are incorporated, domiciled in Delaware, because they they have very favorable laws towards um, the formation of LLCs, C-Corps, etc. My company, once we uh, achieved a more diverse ownership because we had issued lots of stock grants and options and uh, so forth, it it made sense to transition to a C-Corp, unlike being an S-Corp when it was just a couple of us there involved. But, uh, yes, so that's common to to see companies like that, major companies domiciled in Delaware. I get it. That makes sense. They don't have to disclose who the members are. So, essentially, they're masquerading the winner's identities by establishing this LLC. Thanks for that on the C Spire text line. SpaceX launched the Air Force's X-37B space shuttle yesterday. Yeah, that's what we're talking about, Mosey. Yeah, appreciate that. That's pretty cool. Darren and Jackson, has Trump been convicted of insurrection, or is this someone's opinion? So this is where it gets sticky, Darren. If you read the uh, if you read the the Fourteenth Amendment in that section three, it does not stipulate that a person has to be convicted of insurrection to be disqualified. That's where it gets complicated. That's why we need the Supreme Court, honestly. Now. I think it's easy to argue that, yeah, but a person's entitled to due process, which is, of course, embedded, enshrined in other areas of uh, the, the Bill of Rights and uh, and just our laws. So, yeah, it, it doesn't require that, which is where it gets a little sticky. These people that made these decisions know that, but it also makes it kind of difficult when you just, uh, like you say there, Darren, asserts your opinion. Well, in my opinion, he committed insurrection, so I'm just going to kick him off the ballot. I mean, you could apply all kinds of crap uh, to that to candidates it, it, just to kind of wield your political agenda, if you will. I, I hear you. I agree. Could voters write in Trump if he is kept off the ballot? There's lots of discussion about that as well, whether or not... Uh, those votes would be counted. Again, that's a complex legal question. Deep Purple Highway Star, one of my favorites, coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi. We're back in the Element Well studio on the ceasefire text line. There is absolutely no proof that Trump participated in an insurrection. This is just a bunch of junk trying to sway people to vote against him. I don't actually see it that way. Uh, they know that every time they attack him and target him and, and act in this way against him, like removing him off the ballot, it just helps him. It, it engenders support for him. It galvanizes his base. That's not the that's not the goal, uh, and I don't really think it it changes the opinion too much of voters if at all. The goal is to just ensure 
he's not even available to vote for. That's the goal. That's what they're trying to do here. The, the lawsuit in New York is about that. All the lawsuits are. Tie him up so that he's not effective uh, campaigning. Uh, and but but really the the ultimate objective is just to complete some series of actions that just precludes him from even being able to run for president. That's what they're trying to do and be on the ballots in the various states. Now, you're seeing Republicans start to speak up, including Ron DeSantis, Ted Cruz, and the like. Um, hey, we, we can do the same thing with Joe Biden, and we could bar him from being on ballots in states because of his policies on the border. He has um, essentially violated his responsibilities under the Constitution. Honestly, I think that has more merit than Trump engaged in insurrection. I I think that that is something that could be pushed forward. However, I think it's crazy that we get to a point where we start making decisions at that level about who the people can vote for. That's not the way it ought to work. Let, let the votes determine the people's wish as, as far as who should represent them, including in the White House. That's the way it ought to work, not some political hack in Maine, Secretary of State, who's got a history, by the way, an anti-Trump history, no secret there or these four Democrat Supreme Court justices. Now, in fairness, there were seven uh, on the court in Colorado. Four voted to bar Mr. Trump. Three uh, did not. So, And then you have a, a Michigan Supreme Court that's predominantly Democrats that also did not find it appropriate to bar him from the ballot. Same in California. So... And again, like Rhino said, it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference in Colorado. I, I, it's going to be a tough state for Mr. Trump to carry. And in Maine, the way they split their electoral votes up, it's not likely he would win all. He, he probably would win, again, the one that uh, he received uh, in the last cycle from the four in the state of Maine. 9-0, Tim in Oxford. Yeah, I do believe it will be 9-0. I, I hope it is. On the ceasefire text line, 9-0 is dreaming. It could be. I, and I, I just hope that um, that the Supreme Court of the United States does render this decision in the best traditions of blind justice. That's what they're supposed to do and not be... Lawmakers in robes, as Rhino said, which is always a concern. It, you know, you think about a conservative justice versus a liberal justice, that really shouldn't even enter the equation. That's not what the purpose of the Supreme Court is. It should be irrelevant what your political philosophy is. I'm not saying it doesn't happen and that it's not important to have those, in my view, that are more conservative-leaning, but that honestly is not supposed to be the way it works. That's what the House and the Senate and the White House are for. Supreme Court is supposed to be indifferent and simply apply and rule on the law without 
introducing their own political feelings or, more importantly, public sentiment into their decision-making. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I guess I can dream. I believe all these attacks on Trump's have only made him stronger. It basically turned him into a martyr. I believe the Democrats have overplayed their hand. Yeah, I agree. That's Robert and Brandon. I agree with you, Robert, which is why I say their goal isn't isn't to uh, turn people against him at the polls. Their goal is to ensure that he's not on the ballot. And they're looking for every method they can because I think they know they got a dog in Joe Biden. And it's going to be difficult for him to prevail as he did in uh, 2020. Uh, And all the polls are pointing to an outcome that would place uh, Mr. Trump back in the White House, assuming he would be the nominee on the Republican side. Let's see here. Gerard, the states that are trying to remove him from the ballot are states he would never win. Overall, it is really a mute point. Um, Should be a moot point for publicity. I hear you, Mose, but you never know how this may carry into and over into some of the swing states where people in charge have got nefarious uh, goals there. Coming right back after Fox News and Super Talk News, Kelly Bennett at 1120. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply. To think deeply. And look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's hour two of Middays. We are live in the Element Well Studios on this Friday, y'all. The final one of 2023. We are zipping towards 2024, plowing on in there. Looking forward to a fantastic new year. A cause for optimism and renewal. Re, uh, refresh, reinvigorate, all those kinds of things, right, as we approach the new year. We surely appreciate you being with us and hope you'll continue to do so next year. Gary in the Berg says we need a catchphrase like the Democrats use. Afraid of democracy, as you just said, is worth repeating a lot. Like it. Yeah, I, it does seem like that, doesn't it, uh, Gary? I mean, the same people that always lecture us about, we can't elect Donald Trump, it's the end of democracy. We can't ban these explicitly pornographic books from uh, kindergarten classrooms, that's the end of democracy. We can't allow the states to restrict abortion, that's the end of democracy. We can't allow voters to, we can't require them to present a valid ID just to prove that they are who they are, and that they're eligible, qualified to vote, that's the end of democracy. I mean, you should go down the list, can't you? We can't ban genital mutilation on children. That's the end of democracy. That's the kind of crap they spew all the time. No, some fool in a state that just on their own accord, honestly without valid cause and reason, interferes with due process, violates the due process provision of our law, 
and bans a citizen, I don't care if he's a former president or not, he's still a citizen, still meets the minimum qualifications to run for president, bans them from the ballot, that is a banana republic, as they say. That is more akin to the concept of the end of democracy. And it should shake us all to the core. Vivek Ramaswamy, candidate for president as a Republican, put out a little short video yesterday that I caught, and he basically says what we're saying here. And I, I thought this from the beginning. This really wasn't about keeping him off the ballot in Colorado. That, uh, that's, I don't think, has a lot of impact on the outcome. This is about just as are the various lawsuits, especially the one in New York, which is nothing but a political witch hunt. I mean, the person that is the uh, is the plaintiff that brought the suit forward, the Attorney General of New York, said as much in her campaign. But that's what's scary, in my view. This is about them trying to keep him off the ballot. And that's exactly what Vivek said in his little video. I also was um, sent Rhino a clip of Vivek. He's up in Iowa. You know, he said he announced it because that's the first primary coming up here in a couple of weeks, honestly. Uh, 15th, I believe. Uh, January the 15th is the Iowa caucus. It is expected to be one of uh, the most robust <laughs> caucuses, shall we say, in the history of the state. And so the candidates have been on the ground there for some time. Uh, Ron DeSantis is, I think, pretty much hanging his hat on a victory in Iowa, mainly because he got the endorsement of Governor Kim Reynolds. But Vivek Ramaswamy, he's been there as well. He's discontinued, as we sh- shared with you a couple of days ago, all of his, his television advertising. It's a bunch of money being spent. And he's just going the route of grassroots, town halls. He is conducting town halls across the state. So he has one yesterday. A friend sent me the clip. And there is um, a self-described lesbian. She's 40 years old in the audience. And she pipes up, hey, what about LGBTQ? And and he respectfully said, okay, what about it? And, you know, this is um, it's consistent with the way he's handled his town halls. He says, here, here's a mic. Please speak up. What's on your mind? I don't need a mic, is what she says. <laughs> and it's it's a small sort of setting. It is true, you could hear her. But he was gracious enough to say, here's the mic, please speak up. And, man, she just started talking about how difficult it is to be in her shoes, her situation, in the town she lives in there in Iowa, and how she knew at a young age, I don't know, as a youngster, that... She was more attracted to women and so forth. And he starts, he made a point that I think I'm going to get this right, that the, that there's kind of a, a conflict between the transgender T in the acronym and the L, right? Because the, the gender fluidity stuff of transgenderism sort of conflicts with uh, this idea that you know, this is just inherent that you have this attraction in your DNA and so forth. And and he, he I think, did a good job of pointing that out. But i got to take a little bit of pride here in that 
what he said, what he articulated, is consistent with what we've said on the program, which is, you're an adult, knock yourself out. We don't care. Freedom. We're not going to get in your way. You want to go, you're a female, you want to love a female, have at it. You're a male, same thing. You want to mutilate your body and do all kinds of crazy stuff like that? Have at it, as an adult. But we have a duty as society to intervene when parents act stupid and want to seek this uh, so-called gender affirmation treatment, surgery, castration, hormonal treatment, drugs, etc. We have a duty to intervene because it's pretty clear that that typically has negative outcomes. And he mentioned two individuals, females, that he met, biological females, in their 20s on the campaign trail a couple of weeks prior. He didn't say where, but he mentioned them by name, their first names, and he said they both were so distraught that, you know, they had this this gender change surgery, and now they cannot enjoy the uh, experience the joy of motherhood. You were a mother at one time, or, or a prospective mother that could have gotten pregnant, given birth to a child, and experienced that joy. Now you can't, and you regret it, ever. You can't reverse it. And you're having all kinds of other problems, as you know. And I thought he did a good job in saying, you know, there's another side to this. And But most importantly, in support of freedom, you want to go mutilate your body as an adult. Have at it. But here's where I draw the line, and I think Mr. Ramaswamy does as well. No special treatment. That's the problem. You want special accommodations. You want to just upend society to accommodate you and your lifestyle and your whims. And you want to play the victim and the martyr constantly. That's the problem I have. But I do think society has a duty. Because to the left... The supporters of this, oh, well, this is necessary care. And to the right, or those of us who oppose this, no, you're abusing this child. And you're, you're making decisions that are permanent, that cannot be reversed, that will forever impact this child. And the other thing he said, which you've said, which is they've got a mental condition. Let's just be honest about it. And... This, so the lesbian in the audience there uh, took a little bit of exception to that. Didn't think. No. Yeah, I know. But this Someone is, disagreed with him? Exactly. But here's what I'll say. His approach to have this exchange, this, this verbal exchange with her, it calmed her down. I will say that. She kind of was out for bear. You know, let me go after you and get attention and make my point. Not only that, you know what she did agree with, with him, is the prohibition of biological males from participating in female sports. How about that? And you've seen it. There's a lot of lesbians and a lot of people in the LGBTQ community that also agree that that's nonsense. Oh, yeah, there's a large swath of the LGB community that yeah. is disgusted with how far the T community has gone. That's right. 
So, and he made the point, hey, look, this is good. This is the kind of discourse we should have in this country, rather than just always being in an echo chamber, you know, with people that think like we are. So we can work through these problems. And little did they know, I think, until this this uh, um, encounter that they agreed on that critical issue. But according to many on the left, as you know, oh, banning biological males from from competing in female sports, that's the end of democracy. I mean, that's that's just how far they've taken that refrain. It's like they never read Chicken Little. <laughs> We're stepping aside for a break. Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist with Super Top Mississippi News, is next. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. We are in the Element Well studio. The quintessential 80s tune there with the spiked hair there, a flock of seagulls. <laughs> we are pleased to welcome to the program now Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. Yes, it has. All right, Kelly. Well, uh, uh, Happy New Year to you. It's right around the corner here. It sure is. I can't believe it's almost 2024. This year flew by, but I'm getting older. Uh, And they say that happens. (laughs) Indeed it does. Here we go. All right. So um, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. I guess the first thing is the Peach Bowl scheduled for tomorrow in Atlanta. The Ole Miss Rebels will be taking... Uh, on the Penn State Nittany Lions. And a lot of folks in Mississippi, I know, Ole Miss fans are headed that way. I Among them, what do you think? Uh, a little Kelly history for you here. I started out my uh, illustrious radio career in Pennsylvania, and we used to run the Penn State games on the oh, station I work for. So that's cool. that kind of brought back some memories for me. But we talked to uh, Sports Talk Mississippi host Richard Cross. I'm sure he'll be talking a lot about that this afternoon. If Ole Miss wins this game against Penn State, and I think they're like a three-point favorite, yep. it'll be the first time in their history that they've won 11 games in a single season. Lots of people like to talk about how the bowl games don't matter unless you're playing for the national championship. I don't really think that's the case for this one. Um Two teams pretty excited. Very, very few players on either side opting out. And, you know, bigger picture, the bowl season has been really fun so far this year. Yeah. So kickoff for the inaugural game between the Rebels and Nittany Lions is set for tomorrow at 11 a.m. Central. If you're looking for more on this matchup, you can always log on to supertalk.fm. 
And the other news, uh, sports-related, that broke uh, not too long ago was the possibility of the Mississippi Braves, the M Braves, who play at Trustmark Park there in Pearl, central Mississippi, could be packing up and leaving. Yeah, it sounds like it. In Columbus, Georgia, they're building a new stadium in the hopes of bringing the AA team back to the Peach State. And with attendance down in Pearl and their contract with Trustmark Park set to expire next year, this is looking likely. The Mississippi Braves are the only affiliate of the Atlanta Braves not in Georgia with single-A squads in Rome and Augusta and the triple-A squad in Gwinnett. The last time the state lost a minor league team was in 2006. That's when the Jackson Senators disbanded. Of course, Mississippi then gained the Biloxi Shuckers in 2015. Yeah. Man, that is um, that's really something. I, um, it looks like it it may be likely at this point. I don't know what the world they're going to do with that uh, that facility, which is really really nice. So we'll oh see. yeah, you know where the Shucker Stadium is. Um, we have concerts and events and all kinds of stuff. So I'm sure they can find something to yeah. do with that stadium. Yeah. Maybe that yeah. that'll be the case. So I know I've heard uh, uh, some sound on our news about the change in the IRS tax brackets. We've talked about that on the program. Of course, uh, I visited with Jeremy Nelson from Element Wealth about that yesterday. But that's going into effect in 24. Yeah, I love it when you guys start talking finance. I'm like, oh, no, I need to be paying more attention. (laughs) And I think I've lost some of my investments in the stock market recently, which is kind of a bummer. So I'm trying to pay more attention. I just mentioned the (laughs) fact that I'm getting older, so, you know. Yeah, so if you've missed the story, which I think is actually airing this hour, we've got these higher federal tax brackets going into effect starting uh, next month, which is right around the corner next week, actually. Therese Crawley has more on that. It's the IRS response to bracket creep when inflation pushes you into a higher tax bracket, but the cost of living is higher. Tax brackets will rise about 5.4% for 24. For individuals, that means the 22% bracket kicks in about $47,000. 24% kicks in at 100 k 32% over 191000 For joint filers, 23% kicks in at 94 k 24% at 201000 And then when you file your taxes, the standard deduction will also jump 5.4%. And, you know, I'm single with no dependents, so the IRS just loves me. But anyway, (laughs) Jeremy Nelson with Element Wealth told us why it's important and you need to get a handle on these changes. You start getting into your, you know, your Medicare premiums and all that kind of stuff. Um, how much income you can have before you get hit with those. If you're looking at doing Roth conversions, filling up some of those lower tax brackets, you know, in those early years of retirement before you get to required minimum distributions, you need to know where these levels are because they change every year. Yeah. Something to keep in mind. Yeah. So good news for most people, they'll see a, a slight increase uh, in their net pay as a result of uh, these bracket changes. However, folks should keep in mind that uh, if they exceeded, their income exceeded the threshold for Social Security contributions, uh, that starts over again, of course, in January. Yeah, I was going to get into that, Dex, because I was like, didn't you and Jeremy talk about they were going to take more Social Security money out? Yeah, they're increasing so, the threshold, yeah. uh, the the limit there on uh, uh, wages that are subject to Social Security contributions, taxes. Yeah, so... Right, Does so, that mean I'm going to get more if I actually ever retire? No. 
Is, well, <laughs> no. Darn. Well, I, there is a cost of living adjustment uh, incorporated in the Social Security program. And so, I mean, you may get more uh, if uh, in a given year, if inflation uh, drove a cost of living adjustment necessitated that in accordance with the law, but it may or may not actually keep up with the cost of living. So that's, um, you know, it's it's kind of subjective in that respect. Do You you do know they're raising the uh, 401k contribution limit to 23 grand, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, again, that's... That's 500 more? Okay. You know, function of inflation, you know, so everything kind of slides up as a result. Yeah, I get it. Uh, the legislative session. Hard to believe they're going to be down there at the Capitol next Tuesday. We have uh, talked to some folks here uh, on the network. Uh, Certainly, I interviewed uh, Robert Johnson, the minority leader in the House, a couple of days ago. And then uh, Mm -hmm. Senator Bryce Wiggins and Senator Jeremy England, they were interviewed by Mr. Gallo earlier in the week. So what do you got for us there? Well, lawmakers are going to gavel in at noon on Tuesday, and the legislative session this year is a little longer. We've got a lot of new members in the House of Representatives. I think there are only five new state senators. So it's going to be 125 days versus the usual 90 days. But as most people know that are really into their politics, a lot of this has to do with uh, nominating a new House Speaker, which is expected to be Jason White. Our House Speaker Pro Tem uh, looks like it's going to be Manley Barton. Yep. Uh, and then there are committee assignments to pass out and all the different things, administrative things, can we call them, that yep. go on in the beginning of the session before they really get down to work. But, you know, we have, and, and I love being able to, uh, it is a privilege, it's an honor to be able to talk to state lawmakers about their priorities, what they're thinking about going into this new session. And as you mentioned, we did speak with House Minority Leader Robert Johnson, and he said one of his priorities is to continue to focus on improving infrastructure. Recently, well, in the last couple of years, Mississippi has gotten for their infrastructure report card that includes transportation, broadband, water, sewer. It was, it was a D plus, and that's not any fault of any particular agency in the state of Mississippi. It's a, it's a matter of resources and the fact that we suffer from the same thing that people all over the country do, and we have outdated infrastructure issues. Yeah, and he says this is not just about the city of Jackson, where you hear about the water issues all the time. A lot of small towns have outdated old 120-year-old pipes and and pumps and things that need to be replaced. Uh, the, uh, the, The Jobs Act, the Investment and Infrastructure Jobs Act that was passed in 20. 2021 provided $4.5 billion to the state of Mississippi. We've, we've allocated about $2.5 billion of that. And we all know that inflation has risen the, the price of getting this kind of work done, but you see it happening all over the state. If you pay attention, you'll see street closings for sewer repairs. They're replacing the lines and that kind of stuff. And it, it's just something that constantly goes on, but it goes on underground. Yeah. So people don't really see it. Uh, real quick, what got your attention with uh, Senator Wiggins? You know, we got about a minute left here. Oh, yeah, the ballot initiative. They're talking about reinstating that. That's going to be a big issue. Yep. Uh, it sounds to me, I know the income tax is a big deal. Uh, the governor continues to want to eliminate it completely. Sounds to me like a lot of lawmakers want to put a pause on that for now and see how the income tax cuts that are being phased in right now yeah. affect the state budget before they do anything else. 
Yep. And Senator England said that the hospitals need to reconfigure, essentially, uh, to achieve efficiencies to deal with um, the uncompensated care. And their financial Yeah, and that's going to be another big issue. PERS yep. is another big yep. issue. You've got a great article on that on our website if Thank anybody you. wants to check that out. Yep. That and any other story, really, just go to supertalk.fm. Thank you, Kelly. Happy New Year. Coming right back, folks. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it is middays with a little toto the great steve lucather and jeff procaro on the drums there man was he ever some kind of good drummer golly um left this planet way too soon golly he was good though appreciate that rhino good music there jt was a great man big shoes to fill says william tupelo yeah i was just pointing out that um Actually, just remembering that come late January, it will be three years since um, I began to sit in this chair on a full-time basis while JT was fighting cancer. He ultimately passed away in July of 2021. It's just hard to believe, man. Three years has uh, come and gone there. Keith Invaden says, you mean I've been putting up with you for three years? <laughs> Appreciate that, Keith. Uh, Bob says, congratulations on the three years. You're doing a great job. Really appreciate that, Bob. Thank you very much. Uh, Thomas and Greenwood says that uh, all this commotion with these various states, courts, and secretaries of state, working rather feverishly to remove Mr. Trump from the ballot. He says that'll stop when they realize it helps Trump. And that's where I disagree. I, you know, I just have a different opinion on that, a different take. I think they are relentless in their quest to ensure that he does not appear on the ballot and is just deemed ineligible to run because I don't think they see a path to keep the White House. I really don't. And I think they fear. And it's got as much to do with their weak candidate as it does anything. They just don't have a formidable challenger at this point, given that it it appears it's going to be Joe Biden. Now, I personally think that that won't be the case. I really do. I think that someone else is going to surface ultimately to become the candidate for the Democrats. And I think Gavin Newsom surely looks like a strong possibility. I've heard 
Michelle Obama. I don't think ultimately that happens. Their bench isn't deep. That's a problem. I mean, if you look at the field of Republican candidates, every one of those beats Mr. Biden in a head-to-head match. And that tells you that even the bench is pretty deep on the Republican side. So that's good news. But on the Democrat side, it's just not. Liz Warren, again? Bernie Sanders? I, I, Kamala? That's the sticky situation right there. I know. I mean, it's Because so, how do you replace an old white man with a younger white man yeah. and pass over a person of color, a woman of color, Well, they, when she's the vice president? She's next in line, right? Yeah. I mean, she polls below him. <laughs> 34% is where uh, he is. And she's, I think, uh, yeah, last poll I looked at, she's behind him in terms of favorability. Uh, so they just don't have anybody. And I think that's a problem for them. I mean, if you think about, okay, a, a prominent Democrat senator, for example, who would, or a governor, who would that be? Newsom, obviously. Comes to mind. Kathy Hochul in New York? You think about that? I just don't see it, honestly. And I think they know that, and they're struggling. And I think this is why they're working frantically to figure out a way to just keep them off the ballot. But we shall see, no doubt about it. Tim and Oscar says 9-0, question marks. I think that's what it should be. Um, yeah, I hear you, Tim. It may not, and it, and it would only be, as Rhino said, because they would be engaged in political partisanship as opposed to discharging their duty and applying the law. That's what the Supreme Court is all about. I mean, you, you do have to acknowledge, do you not? It was so brilliant on the part of the founders to create this structure. So brilliant. Um, And they're supposed to be impartial, as you know, and consistently and appropriately apply the law. That's what they're supposed to do. Nothing more or less. No politics, no partisanship, no personal philosophy is to be in play or public sentiment. I know that's maybe wishful thinking, but that's the way it was set up to work. Thomas and McComb says, I feel that one of the qualifications to run for president should be that you serve in the military. I disagree with that, but, I, but I've heard other folks suggest that as well. I, I don't think that necessarily means that um, you would be the most effective uh, president. I, I get the, the rationale behind that, um, but... Uh, and I certainly don't oppose a person that has served in the military. I, uh, I think that is a, uh, an asset to have on their resume for sure, and we certainly are grateful for their service. I believe all of these attacks on Trump have only made him stronger and basically turned him into a martyr. I believe the Democrats have overplayed their hand on this, says Robert Brandon. Again, I hear you, Robert, but uh, I believe the goal is to keep him off the ballot, the, and, it, and it's just they're rolling the dice. Yeah, we know if we do all this – that could, in fact, galvanize the base, energize the base. And the biggest thing, as you guys know, is in those handful of counties, in those six states, is what the independents do and them going out and voting. More than anything, that will determine the 
outcome of the presidential election, I still think they're trying to keep him off the ballot. And I think you're going to see more. Ed from New Hope, Democrats just throwing things on the wall to see what sticks. I think what they're hoping to stick is that he ain't on the ballot. Trump will one run for president, but he can't win Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. That spells defeat, says Johnny and Tupelo. I disagree, Johnny. He um, he did win Ohio, and Ohio has become more reliably red. It used to be said that the the path to the presidency for a Republican is to is to secure the state of Ohio. That was kind of the quintessential purple swing state. Not anymore. It's, more, it's lean more red. He did win Michigan in 16, and he did win Pennsylvania. That was the shock, of course, heard heard uh, around the world. Not the shock, but the shock heard around the world. Who could forget the folks at MSNBC basically breaking down and crying on national television the night that the AP called it for those states? Because that's where the election, ultimately, the epicenter for the election has been positioned, and it, I think it will be again. So I'm I'm actually optimistic that uh, the former president could take those states. If he can, he can't win, but that's that's the key. What's sad is that if you support a candidate that the left doesn't like and you're powerful, the FBI invades your home and life, says Tim and McGee. Yeah, that's the weaponization and the politicization of um, the nation's agencies and that's scary i agree and i and i again applaud mr trump for exposing that he did it's why i support term limits for uh the highest level uh employees of those agencies i think that's more important arguably than term limits for lawmakers because they seem to have affected our lives with their regulatory nonsense than the congress does which is crazy Think about this appliance, this war on appliances. Now, that's all coming out of the uh, the agency, from the agency level, driven by executive orders from the from the White House. Uh, and they are partisan. We've we've seen that in the FBI, in the DOJ, in the EPA, down the list, Secretary of State, etc., State Department. It ought to be against the law to build a nice stadium, then leave it as an eyesore, total junk. That's on the ceasefire text line. That's in reference to what appears to be the uh, the news uh, showing that the Mississippi Braves, the M Braves, which play at Trustmark Park in Pearl, look like they're seriously considering leaving. It does appear that their strategy, that being the Braves organization, is to have all their teams in Georgia. Triple A, double A, I think three double A franchises, one triple A. Which at one point in time they did, didn't they? I think that's right. So coming over here was um, a bit of a, a diversion from their standard strategy. I don't think it'll become an eyesore, I think as Kelly said. That's probably right. Some Someone... Uh, innovative will come up with a way, uh, hopefully the city, honestly, with a way to uh, maybe establish some contractual relationships with third parties that will utilize it for other events. Because it's a nice facility. There's no doubt about that. By the way, that story made Bloomberg story about the Braves and kind of how they've conducted themselves with respect to shaking down cities to get stadium public funding to build stadiums. Incredible. We're coming right back. I got some uh, thoughts to share 
uh, on what we talked about yesterday with respect to George Floyd. Stay with us. Good days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. We are back in the Element Well studio. It is middays. Boy, Nikki Haley's having to do some quick dusting up there. We'll get to that in a minute. So yesterday, uh, I, we, we shared the news that Lots of these corporations across the country and, and even some public sector entities are scaling back their DEI efforts and their investment, and they're, they're not recruiting people into those departments the way they once were. They're figuring out that there's, as Rhino pointed out, there's just no return on investment for all that. And, and I just mentioned that uh, yesterday on the show that uh, we saw this really ramp up. I mean, tremendously, significantly in the wake of uh, the George Floyd murder. And some folks took exception to that, that I described it as a murder. And I did so because that's what the court's verdict was. Um, you know, that my opinion on whether or not that truly was um, a murder, the officer, Derek Chauvin, who, by the way, I, I saw just got out of the hospital like a couple of days ago. He was stabbed like 22 times in prison. Um, so I, I started doing some further research on that because I wanted to see kind of what the status was of his appeals. You know that, was it just like a month ago, the Supreme Court rejected the case and appealed to hear the case at the U.S. Supreme Court level, basically sent it back down. There are lawyers on his behalf still working to overturn the verdict. But I I came across a fascinating uh, podcast. It's actually published on YouTube as well. And uh, I'm going to subscribe to this. And it's, it's two black professors one from Brown University, one from Columbia. Now, you would expect that they would just be rabid left-wing loons. They're not. Glenn Lowry and John McWhorter, the name of the show is the, The Glenn Show, and it is sponsored by the Manhattan Institute. And so... Not so long ago, a couple of weeks, they recorded an episode totally dedicated to the whole George Floyd ordeal. And the title of that episode is The Truth About George Floyd's Death. Now, these two individuals are brilliant, in my view. And I would be pleased to be a student in their classroom. They're both instructors. And for anybody I know and care about to be a student in their classroom. And that's mind-boggling to think that would be the case at Brown and Columbia. Columbia, of course, has been the epicenter of a lot of the anti 
anti-Semitic protests. So both of these individuals, these gentlemen, viewed a documentary that's only been out less than a month. There just hasn't been a lot of news about it, entitled The Fall of Minneapolis. But some of the things that are talked about, discussed, presented in the documentary were a bit disturbing. One of those, I guess I didn't realize, I don't know that a lot of people did, is that the body cam footage was not allowed in the case. You're shaking your head. That's right, huh? Yeah. Okay, so it's in this documentary. And what these two individuals say is that to the average person, when you look at the video that we all saw that featured the officer and George Floyd, it clearly looks to me like he's got his knee on his neck and restricting his ability to breathe. And that is essentially why they found the officer guilty of murder. Well, they find out in the documentary, it's um, discussed, exposed that he was saying he couldn't breathe while he was standing upright. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's a problem. But the other thing is the body cam footage shot at a more direct, different angle than from the side, the video used in court that the whole world saw, that started this whole firestorm, honestly. The body cam footage shows that his knee is on the shoulder, not the neck. Okay, so the the training for officers in the police department is to use that very maneuver to restrain and subdue, right, a perpetrator. Not on the neck, on the shoulder. And the body cam shows it, but they wouldn't allow it in the officer's defense. Now, if that's the case, well, you can't restrict a person's breathing that I'm aware by applying pressure with your knee to the shoulder. The neck, I get that's where your airwaves are and your your pipes. So this is calling this into question. These two guys are great, and they go into all these other details. Coming right back in the Element Well Studio, Super Talk News, Fox News is next. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines. And join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's hour three of middays. The afternoon portion is live with you now from the Element Well studio on this Friday, y'all. We're looking for Michael Borky, producer of Sports Talk Mississippi. Uh, in the interim, so I, I'm just going to continue. This this documentary, The Fall of Minneapolis, is uh, quite revealing and informative and really casts a different light on the whole situation. And if that's the case, if what is presented, at least in this documentary, and listening to these two gentlemen 
uh, discuss the documentary, and they, after seeing it, have um, said that there needs to be further analysis and investigation. In, in, in particular, we need all the evidence. That's, that's the main thing. Everyone is entitled to have all the evidence presented, both good and bad, at a, at a trial uh, when a jury is making the decision, a jury of their peers. So something else that came up is a member of the police department, uh, an officer, a higher-level officer that I think is involved in training the officers, was asked about this um, this maneuver, I guess, this this restraint technique used, and where where a knee is applied to the shoulder, and he said that absolutely was not part of the training. Yet the documentary actually shows the pages in the training materials that illustrates how to do it. So that's a problem, and my hope is that the truth is exposed and that appropriate legal action is taken. Now, I've never thought George Floyd was a saint and was deserving of the adulation that he received uh, post-death. I thought that was ridiculous. And there's lots of information about his history to indicate that. Um, But as well, if the officer... Uh, broke protocol, and uh, then, then, you know, he should be punished appropriately. But if it could be proven that his actions didn't cause the death of Floyd, then he should not have been convicted as such. And this documentary makes a pretty compelling case, especially with the body cam footage. Well, on the ceasefire text line... Let's see here. I just moved to Mississippi three years ago. Found Super Talk about a year ago. You do a great job. Have a happy new year. Lynn and Waynesboro, appreciate that. Lynn, and please have a happy new year as well. Really do. Thank you for the kind words. Mary from Calhoun City says, Happy New Year to all you guys at Super Talk Mississippi, and also says, Congratulations on three years. JT would be proud of you. Man, I certainly hope so. I surely hope that he is... uh, in his heavenly perch, smiling down on what he sees, that we've we've carried on the tradition of uh, of the show, being a high-quality broadcast. Really appreciate that. I love listening to the late, great JT, but you, sir, have done an awesome job. Happy anniversary. Really appreciate that as well. Thanks, guys, for, for all the kind words. That's uh, awfully nice of you. Jackson, Tennessee, had a similar situation with their minor league team after COVID lost the team, and they have used the stadium for concerts, etc., and recently added a new baseball league that uses the stadium. Hopefully, same thing will happen for that stadium. Talking about Trustmark Park in Pearl, the news is out that it looks like the Braves uh, may not, likely not, honestly, to renew their lease. And that's how it works. The city builds the stadium, and the team leases the facility from the city. The city went into debt, borrowed money, 
lots of it to build the facility. Now, in fairness, a lot of retail shops, hotels, etc., restaurants all sprung up around the stadium, including the Bass Pro Shops. That was kind of all part of the plan and the deal, and that's worked out quite well, I think one would have to agree. But I haven't seen any financial analysis as to the economic impact of the stadium versus the debt. I do know that the City of Pearl's credit rating was downgraded significantly um, as a result of the debt, this debt on its books and the concerns, of course, about its overall financial condition with revenues not keeping pace. So we'll see where all that lands as well. Really is incredible. Uh, and I, I hope we have a good outcome, honestly. Jeff and Carrollton says, could the red states take a Democrat off the ballot? Yeah, we've we've been talking about that, Jeff. There has been some, some buzz about that happening. I, what are we achieving with that, other than maybe using that, I guess, as a, as a negotiating tool, as leverage? Hey, blue states, if you start removing our candidate off your ballot, we're going to start removing yours. What will we end up with? No candidates? For all over with? And there are some people, you know this, Rhino, who believe we're not going to have an election next year. They, they see that as a, kind of a, a, a pivotal, catastrophic moment where our elections are not conducted, and that sort of drops the country into massive chaos. Now, there are a lot of folks that believe that. I don't, personally. I do think we're going to have elections. I do worry about cyber attacks interfering with that, something I've shared on the program many times, that there's 3,100-some-odd counties. They all need to shore up their cyber defenses. I, I don't feel confident that they are adequately prepared and have measures in place, uh, cyber protection technology in place uh, to uh, impede a possible attack, to fight one off. I, I have concerns about that. We, we saw this happen in Hines County just this past fall. Their systems were down, what, two or three weeks, I believe. And and that's disturbing. So you, you um, all the county business that relies on those systems could not be conducted. And that also would include voting. My concern has always been that their voter rolls, which are stored in these county systems, are vulnerable to attack. And that's a bigger threat uh, to the outcome of our elections than hacking machines or mail-in voting, because when you can't have elections because you can't access the voter rolls, man, that would that would absolutely thrust us into major chaos. And that's a concern. And I honestly have, have uh, been sounding that alarm for some time because I have firsthand seen the, the lack of security protection technology, threat detection technology implemented at the county level. And it's it's complicated, and it requires continuous support, maintenance, and administration, orchestration, all the above. Continuous. Can't just say, okay, we put in our, 
our cyber defense infrastructure, we're done. Wash your hands of that. Nope. It's kind of like having a horse or a boat. <laughs> it never ends. It's a concern. If Trump loses again, do you actually think he will admit that he lost, or will he once again claim he was cheated? i I got to tell you on the ceasefire text line, I, I'm not sure there'll ever be another presidential election where the loser doesn't feel that the uh, the the ultimate winner uh, was uh, declared and certified as the winner uh, on an invalid basis. I think they'll. I, I really do. I'm, I'm at the point where I feel like no matter who wins, what party, it doesn't matter. The other side is going to cry foul. And we saw it when Trump won in 16. We saw it when Biden won in 20. I, I, I can't really see that that's going to change in the future. I'm also not sure that we won't have another president elected that doesn't at least get subjected to an impeachment inquiry. I think that's almost become standard, standard policy. Uh, I hope that's not the case. I, I, I would like to think we can get past that, and I certainly understand there's a lot of folks that distrust the entire system. Uh, they have reason to. But, man, it's, it's kind of hard to flourish as a republic if we can't at least get that part right at a minimum. Again, I remain concerned about the vulnerability of the voter roles in the election systems maintained, operated, installed at the county level. I have serious concerns about that. They are all vulnerable, and I don't think their cyber defenses are terribly strong. We are stepping aside for a break. We're coming right back with uh, Michael Borky. That's good news. We'll talk about the Peach Bowl coming up. Stay with us. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. The great Joe Walsh. We are back in the Element Well studio. We welcome to the program now Michael Borkey, producer of Sports Talk Mississippi. What about it there, Michael? Oh, man. You know what's crazy, Gerard, is uh, the football season's over. It's over. <laughs> this is it. I mean, Ole Miss, I mean, Mississippi State's unfortunately been done for a while, but yeah. Ole Miss tomorrow at about 2.30 will be done playing football. Where does time go? I don't know, man. That's, uh, that is an interesting thought that I, I haven't really spent much time on, but you're right. It's almost over. I would say that uh, until really yesterday, the last couple of days, the bowl games have been kind of uh, boring <laughs> but they, because they've been blowouts, most of them. Yeah, we, we got a good one with the Pop-Tarts Bowl, <laughs> which, uh, I mean, talk about great marketing. I mean, awesome. having a gigantic victory Pop-Tart was uh, a great <laughs> idea. And then, 
Uh, we got something interesting anyway with Oklahoma last night getting beat by Arizona. So Oklahoma's quarterback last night is the the guy, the yeah. next thing at Oklahoma. And they've been talking about him all season. Essentially forced Dylan Gabriel, who's thrown for 15,000 yards in his college career, essentially kind of were okay with him moving on to, to Oregon to bring in Jackson Arnold, and he looked really, really good at times, and he also had three interceptions, kind of cost his team the game. So joining the SEC this year, they got to see what that quarterback is going to look like against Arizona, and uh, mixed reviews last night. So at least we got something interesting there. Yeah, it, it seems like I've seen more interceptions in, in football games in the last week than I maybe have seen in the last five years. It's just been interception city. <laughs> Yeah, and you've got all these uh, opted-out quarterbacks uh, making way for backups and third stringers. And, Could be. Uh, this is what you get, I suppose. Yep. All right, so the Peach Bowl, uh, as you just mentioned, Ole Miss, uh, Penn State over in Atlanta. I'm headed that way after the show here. Your thoughts? Oh, it's just a really exciting game and a really um, big challenge for Ole Miss. So Penn State's defense is the number one defense in college football statistically, depending on what stats you want to look at. Now, they, they had a defensive end opt out. They had a defensive back opt out. And there might be another one as well that doesn't play. We don't have official word there. Really? But despite that, hmm. eight guys on that Penn State defense have more than three sacks on the season. They get after the quarterback. They're good at stopping the run. They're physical. There's NFL guys all over the field. They're really good at linebacker. It's a really, really, really good defense. Now, they've only played two offenses that have the talent that Ole Miss's offense has, and yeah. the, both of those teams beat them. However, it's still a very, very physical and athletic Penn State defense, and, and Ole Miss is going to have their hands full. They're going to have to have one of their best games in pass protection and uh, and run blocking if they're going to have a chance tomorrow. Well, and, and let's be honest, run blocking has not been a strong suit uh, for the Rebels uh, this year. Or, no, no uh, neither right. pass protection. Pass protection either, as well. Uh, yeah. Because Quinshawn Judkins ran for over 1,000 yards, which is a really good season, but he also leads the country in yards after contact. So that means mm. he was making things happen after defenders were able to get to him. That's not – it's a good stat for him. That is not a good stat for the Ole Miss offensive line. It means their running back was making them look better than they actually were. So uh, I expect Ole Miss is going to really have to rely on the tight end in blocking in Caden Priestcorn. And passing downs, they're they're going to have to use the backs, and the backs are going to have to be good in pass protection. Hmm. I, I would expect a, kind of a quick passing game uh, from Ole Miss, get the ball out uh, of Dart's hands pretty quickly. And then I expect Dart to run some in this game. There's a way to keep a defense honest, and that's have a quarterback that will beat you with his legs. He's capable of doing that, but he spent the last few weeks of the season injured, so they kind of limited – what they asked him to do running the football. He's going to have to do that tomorrow. Obviously had a few weeks off to get a little bit healthier. Tight end's going to be important. Dart running is going to be important. And, again, quick passing game, I think, is going to be the key for Ole Miss. If they can just get the ball out fast, they've got playmakers that Penn State just hasn't seen very much if you get them the ball quickly. How do you see the matchup of uh, the other way, the Ole Miss defense versus the Penn State offense? So Ole Miss is going to have to uh, use the, the cliche that gets used sometimes. They're going to have to bring their lunch pail uh, <laughs> on defense. Penn State is uh, is not an explosive offense, uh, frankly. They, they just they really uh, don't intimidate you much in any way. And also, they're probably going to be without their first-round pick left tackle. He made an announcement 
that said he was looking forward to spending time with his teammates in Atlanta, <laughs> but whatever that means. So if he doesn't play, that's a benefit for Ole Miss because he's a great player. But they're going to line up and run right at Ole Miss and dare them to stop them because if Ole Miss can't, it's going to be a long day. Hmm. If Ole Miss can, then I think they will win the game because Aller, the quarterback for Penn State, uh, protects the ball well. He's got like a 23-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio, but he throws for under 200 yards a game. That's including all of the bad non-conference games that they play. They don't ask him to do much, and when they do, he's very vulnerable under duress. He is not particularly poised in the pocket when pressured. So if Ole Miss can force Penn State in passing downs, I think they will win the game because I don't I don't see a scenario in which Aller can beat them if he is asked to beat them. But if Penn State's winning first and second down on the ground, it's going to be a tough ask for Ole Miss. Interesting. So based on that analysis, uh, Michael, I would say we should expect a rather low-scoring affair. What do you think? That's what I that's what I expect. And now that I've said that it's gonna be forty five, forty two and every possession's gonna But yeah, I, I think that you're going to have a, a similar game uh to like Ole Miss Texas A and M, for example. And I know both teams scored a little bit more points than I expect to tomorrow, but A and M's got a really good, talented, physical defensive front and Ole Miss had some success uh, against A and M, but that's the kind of game I expect. Uh a battle in the trenches, a struggle at times for both offenses. And, I, I mean, I would guess the first to 27 wins the game. Okay. How about that? That's interesting. So let, let's talk about uh, the remaining games on the schedule. Of course, uh, uh, those vying for the national championship. How do you see those games shaking out? Yeah, Alabama-Michigan is going to be, uh, I, I think, Interesting, but not near as fun as Texas and Washington. Texas has one of the worst pass defenses and uh, among the best teams in college football. That you know, a lot of teams would take Texas as secondary, of course, but uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of sixty to ninety on pass defense statistics, depending on which one you look at. And Washington has a group of receivers that are really high level and a quarterback that can get them the ball. So I think there's going to be a lot of fireworks in Texas, Washington, and I do think Washington's going to win this game. People mm. talk about mm. the the West Coast offenses being finesse and stuff like that, and I just said they've got good receivers and a quarterback that can throw the ball. But Washington is physical, and they can impose their will on uh, defenses. And so if they're able to run the ball uh, with a Mississippi State transfer, by the way, at running back, uh, and set up the pass with those receivers against that pe- Texas pass defense, they're going to score a ton on the flip side, I think Alabama-Michigan is going to be a low-scoring game, but Alabama just has a, a couple more athletes and playmakers on offense than Michigan does. So that will be the difference in the game, in my opinion, is Alabama just has a little bit more to offer offensively uh, than, than Michigan does. But I think that game's going to be more physical, low-scoring, and Texas-Washington is going to be points, 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 touchdowns everywhere, a lot more fun to watch. Yeah, and and for the big uh, conferences represented here as well in the playoffs. Yes, sir. Yeah, um, cool. I mean it's and it's the last year of the Pac-12 as well, so the final hurrah <laughs> of the Pac-12 as we know it, and uh, everybody obviously moving on. So that what's was crazy, Gerard, is this year in college football. 
Um, everything's going to look a lot different after this year. I mean, the playoff is expanding to 12 after this year, so the playoff is going to look and feel different, as will bowl season. Texas and Oklahoma are joining the SEC. Washington and Oregon and USC and UCLA are joining the Big Ten. You've got the Arizona schools and, and Utah and Colorado joining the, the Big 12. I mean, all of this stuff is just happening, all this movement and change. So this is kind of it for college football and the structure of it anyway, as we know it, because next year is just going to look so incredibly different. And then layer on to that, uh, the an unbelievable activity and, and just uh, buzz and, and stories around the portal, the NIL, the, that whole deal. That's already upended the entire college football world. And then you've got this new... Uh, this new alignment, conference alignment situation, and then new playoff structure. A lot. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it, it's hard to keep up with. And uh, Lane Kiffin talked about it this week, and, and he's so right. The, the calendar needs to change, though, Gerard, because you, you've got teams that are, are still playing games. And this is when the windows open for players to leave their teams. That's true. I mean, that makes no sense whatsoever. And uh, that, that has got to change That's because true. the calendar is just really backwards. Yeah, that's true. Hadn't thought about that. That's a great point. Michael, appreciate you calling in and joining us and sharing uh, your insight. Uh, It's a lot of fun. A happy new year to you and also to your cohorts. (laughs) Brian Haydad and Richard Cross, you you guys do a fantastic job. I really do appreciate you joining us today, and we'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anytime. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. Please stay with us. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Fire text line. Welcome back, everyone. Julian Walnut says, wow, it sure doesn't seem like three years. JT was great, and I enjoyed his show, and I miss him. But you have done an awesome job since you have been with Super Talk. JT would be proud. Happy, happy anniversary and happy new year. Really appreciate that, uh, Julian. Again, certainly do hope so. I certainly hope that he's looking down and is pleased with what uh, what he sees. He, he has an enduring legacy for sure. No doubt about that. It turns out that Joe Biden, this is crazy. This was an article in the Wall Street Journal. He knew Carter was in trouble in 1979. The article goes on to say, now he's in the same boat, (laughs) but as a senator. He said this on the record. That man's in trouble, politically in trouble. This was according to an account published in the Wilmington, that would be Delaware, Evening Journal. Wow. And it it also turns out that he was the first U.S. senator to endorse Jimmy Carter for president in 1976. I didn't know that. He also, of course, backed his failed bid for re-election in 1980. Went down to, of course, Ronald Reagan. 
So you're telling me his bad judgment is older than I am. That is correct. That is what I'm telling you. But it is, I find, just kind of ironic that the Wall Street Journal says he's in the same boat right now. And, it, and you know that the Democrat Party and the operatives and and uh, all those at the top of the food chain there, are they're huddling up every day talking about this. What are we going to do? They see the polls. And they're not sitting around saying, oh, the polls don't mean anything, I can assure you. No, they know they do. And I'm actually in the camp that believes the polls are more accurate than they ever have been, and I think that's just because the improvement in the methodologies. And I understand some people may argue with that. Uh, In particular, if you look at an average of numerous polls, I think that's a pretty accurate gauge, honestly. So... You know they're trying to figure out. Okay, well, what do we what do we campaign on? Apparently, they are seeing that talking about the Democrat Party that campaigning on Bidenomics ain't getting it done. And of course, we got all this stimulus money signed into law by President Biden that they are expecting to work some miracles because it is showering lots of money on the on the around the country uh, at state level i mean as you heard representative johnson talk about on our show a couple of days ago the infrastructure act it's not that i'm opposed to spending money on infrastructure even federal money what i'm opposed to is two things one all the strings attached and two we ain't got the money i i just don't I'm looking for a situation where finally in Washington both parties come to an agreement that, hey, we just can't afford it. we got to go work on trimming the deficit and hopefully getting to a point where we start paying down on the debt before we go into more debt. That just doesn't seem to be part of the fair there. In uh, in Washington, that, that's, so that's my biggest concern about it. I mean, it's not I'm not anti infrastructure, and I actually think that to some degree, depending on what is defined as infrastructure, and that's another problem. You know, they threw all kinds of crap in that bill that ain't got nothing to do with what the average person views as infrastructure, like roads and bridges and airports and waterways and so forth. Yeah, there's a bunch of other stuff in there as well. Everybody's got to feed at the trial. So it's amazing to me, though, that now that um, Biden is having kind of the tables turned on him a bit. So we have uh, talked some time about, again, this the way the states are kind of separating on how they're handling uh, gender treatment, sex change treatments, really what it is, for minors in allowing males to participate in female sports. Now, there's a family in Ohio that is really worried about the possibility of Ohio. They're bracing for this. A law to be passed there, as has passed here in the state of Mississippi, which bans so-called gender-affirming care for minors and also prohibits or requires, I should say, student-athletes to 
participate in sports that correspond with their biological sex. And so there's incredible. There's a, a family that is really concerned about this that has a transgender child, uh, 10 years old, I think. And I, it's just crazy looking at the article here. And so they're voicing their concerns to the legislature and to the governor of the great state of Ohio. See where all that goes. They have a bill that is composed of two acts, Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act and Save Women's Sports Act. Pretty much the titles of the acts, I think, tell you what those bills do, or that bill does, what those two acts incorporated in it. So we'll see where that goes, but crazy stuff. Nikki Haley has been under fire because when she was asked about the cause of the Civil War, she failed to say that slavery had anything to do with the Civil War. And she's backtracked on that now. This was earlier in the week, and and now yesterday she's come forth and said, quote, of course the Civil War was about slavery. We know that. That's unquestioned. Always the case. We know the Civil War was about slavery. This was uh, said in a town hall in uh, North Conway. I believe that is in Ohio, if I'm not mistaken. No, New Hampshire. She's up in New Hampshire. That's right. She's counting on uh, New Hampshire uh, for where she'll get a big boost. So, uh, you know, the president, of course, jumped all over her for not acknowledging that slavery was uh, a root cause of the Civil War. And, I mean, you can't deny the fact that in, in South Carolina's uh, official secession convention that they, of course, released an, what they call an ordinance of secession where they announced that they were withdrawing from the Union, and they made it very clear that it was about slavery. So, And I know there were other issues as well that drove a secession and ultimately led to the Civil War, but even her own state made that very clear. I mean, you could say it was just an oversight on her part, but you know something else I'd say to the folks on the left that are really blasting her, who may say that, well, that's just being racist. Wait now, isn't she a person of color? I didn't think they could be racist. But she's got an R by her name, so any and all protections of intersectionality go out the window. Oh, I see. <laughs> so it's based It's almost on... like they don't really believe in intersectionality. They just use it as leverage in their political games. I'm down for that. <laughs> so because she is a Republican person of color, all bets are off. Those standards don't apply. It's just unbelievable. But she is. They're constantly preaching to us. No, it's not possible for the for so-called reverse racism to exist, right? That's what this would be. I mean, just look at the names the left has called people like Ben Carson. <laughs> that is true. They've jumped all over him because of his conservative leanings. You can't do that. You're a black person. This is so insane. It really is. So, in other words, you can't have any independent thought. That kind of conflicts with the agenda, does it not? That you may have your your own uh, 
ability to think critically, logically, reach conclusions on that basis? You can't do that. We didn't tell you to think that way. It's disgusting. And the way they talk about Ben Carson pales in comparison to how they talk about Clarence Thomas. That is absolutely true. Oh, man. Does he ever get their gander up for sure? Tim Scott. By the way, you know what? I was going through the 72 list of 72 things deemed racist in higher ed. You know what one of those in the list was? Tim Scott. <laughs> just, just him as a person. <laughs> just his body as a person is considered racist. Unbelievable. So once again, the double standard doesn't apply, right? Because he's a Republican, like you said. He's a black person. I thought they could not possibly be racist, but he is because he's a Republican. He happens to be uh, deeply a person of deep Christian faith, uh, believes in the nuclear family, uh, believes in delayed gratification, capitalism, all those things. They just conflict with the left's agenda and their ideology um, in this country. We're coming right back with a final segment on Middays for the year 2023. Stay with us. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. And the blowfish there bumping us into the final segment of 2023 on middays. We thank you so much for making uh, the show possible. I was listening this on the ceasefire text line from Bobby and Batesville. I was listening three years ago and I still listen today. Couldn't have picked a better successor to JT. Happy anniversary. Also, Gerard and Borky at the same time. Good day indeed. Really appreciate that, Bobby. Thanks so much for tuning in and engaging with us. Bubba Starkville says George Floyd was a drug addict and a criminal. That was never portrayed by the left. Rather, they treated him as a saint. Great job, Gerard. Go Rebs. Save travel to Atlanta, Bubba. Yeah, I agree. That that was wrong, in my view, the way they propped him up as a, as a saint, as, as someone deserving of that sort of adulation. Again, uh, he didn't deserve to die if, in fact, uh, that is the case. But I tell you, the evidence is looking more like it wasn't. That wasn't the case. And, and, I, and I hope justice is done like it should be. Dan in Hattiesburg, I can't believe it's been another year. Good luck to your rebels, and I hope you and Rhino have a great new year. You as well, Dan. Again, thank you uh, for tuning in and for sharing your thoughts with us on the ceasefire text line here. Really appreciate that. Most people do not understand that there are only three races. So many people think that Hispanic is a race of its own, and it's not. Yeah, and that's kind of why the left has redefined it. The grouping is people of color, right? Disadvantaged, marginalized. They All these kind of fancy words they use to describe it. Uh, Gerard, you do a great job. We appreciate your professionalism and wish the best for you and your family in the new year. And I wish the same to you and really appreciate the, the feedback. Uh, let's see. 
only one race, the human race, says Adam in Madison. Well, that's, I think, a, a popular view as well. And, and again, I, I well, attribute... Well, it was. That's right. Yeah. I mean, um, I was raised to be colorblind, but yeah. that's not good enough can't, anymore. Can't do that anymore. Again, I was about to say that that's inconsistent with uh, uh, the Marxist ideology and the agenda, which is to group. It's all about grouping, dividing, grouping into identity groups. You're one of these, you're one of those, you're one of that, and sit down, shut up, take it. That's what we've deemed you are. And you're an oppressor, and you're the oppressed victim, and all that kind of crap. But they plant this stuff. In, uh, in the minds of our young people. That's what really eats at me. And and uh, we, we seem to have, in some circles at least, gotten away from teaching the positive greatness of the country. And we focus on uh, the stains of our past, which is ridiculous. That's, that's not productive. It's unproductive, honestly, and it's, it's harmful. Speaking of harmful, the Biden administration is looking at expanding Title IX to uh, include and to redefine sexual discrimination to include gender identity, which would, on a federal basis, prevent schools, colleges, and states from banning transgender athletes, uh, again, biological males mainly, from competing in female sports competition. They're looking at doing that at the federal level. Again, it's one of these executive order deals carried out by some agency. If they do that, it will be the death knell for women's sports. No doubt about it. So much for being the party which advocates for women, right, and women's rights and equality and all that stuff. Well, it turns out that even some folks in the U.N. are blasting Biden over this. The U.N., they say that this would violate biological women and girls' rights to equality and non-discrimination as student-athletes. You don't say! <laughs> I've been asking where the feminists are. Well, i I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a little, little pleasantly surprised. Reem Al-Salem, United Nations special reporter on violence against women. So she's doing what she's supposed to do, defending the rights of women. How could anyone in their right mind not say that it's inequitable? Because remember, that's what we've defined DEI as, discrimination, exclusion, and inequity. Well, here's an example of the inequity. Oh, no. To be inclusive, you got to let men and boys compete against women and girls. That's being inclusive. No, that's practicing inequities, what that is. So uh, I'm pleased to see the U.N. come out against this. This ain't over. And, man, if they start reversing these laws at the state level with federal law, here we go again to the Supreme Court over this. And maybe that's what should happen, to decide this and let it be something that the, that the, uh, the states handle, just as was the case with Roe v. Wade. Well, we're out of time here today. We are so pleased that you joined us, and uh, it's been a good year. We thank you for being with us, and we're going to be right back with you again in 2024. I hope everyone out there has a fantastic weekend. 
a happy, safe, healthy, prosperous 2024. We'll be back with you Tuesday. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.